this week our lesson is called The Biggest Loser, and I don't think that uh, it's a uh, surprise to most of you guys, who, who know me anyway, that I'm a, a huge fan of, um, of the hit TV show The Biggest Loser. Uh, after watching the show myself for a couple years and being one of those people that would eat ice cream as I was watching all these other people work out, <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, after, after doing that for a couple years, I finally decided, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of being overweight and... You know, at the end of the season, the people who are left on the show uh, go and run a marathon. And I thought, wow, you know, if they can get these guys who are, you know, 500 pounds uh, within six months, if they can get them ready for a, a, a full marathon, 26.2 miles, I should be able to train myself to do at least a half marathon. So uh, starting on January 1st of 2010, I began training to run a half marathon. Uh, by June that summer, I, w- I was able to run uh, 13 and a half miles uh, which is uh, a little bit more than the distance of a half marathon. And in November of 2010, I ran my first half marathon uh, race. So, you know, I'm only one of just millions of people whose lives have been uh, impacted just by, by watching The Biggest Loser. Now, for those of you who maybe haven't watched the show before and you're not sure exactly how it works, it basically works like this. They, they go out and uh, they bring contestants who suffer from morbid obesity uh, onto the show, and within a few months, they turn these people who are 400, 500 pounds into these fit, trim, uh, healthy, athletic people. I mean, you, you can't even recognize them. They, they go through such a change, you can't even recognize them. And it's kind of funny to say that these people suffered from morbid obesity because the truth is that they didn't become morbidly obese by suffering. Uh, rather, they, they enjoyed food and lack of activity Uh, so much that they got to the point where they got trapped in this cycle where they wanted to lose weight, but they couldn't because they didn't have the energy. Or so they thought. You know, one of the points of the show is to say, hey, you do have it within you to do this. You you just need some motivation. You know, that's what what everybody's there for. They're pushing the contestants to do it. Uh, So part of what they do on the show is prove to the contestants they have the energy and the motivation uh, to do it. Now, the most important thing that the contestants can uh, walk away from that show knowing is that being the biggest loser, that is, uh, losing the most weight by the finale, uh, requires that the lives of these people, the the contestants, uh, can can never be the same. It it has to completely uh, undergo this change. It can't go back to what it was like before. If you want to be the the biggest loser, you know, it, it requires some tremendous sacrifice and some incredible lifestyle uh, changes. The winner of the first season, some of you guys who watch the show, you probably know this, the guy who won the first uh, season by losing the most weight, he actually didn't make those lifestyle changes. And so he went back and he put on all this weight. And, you know, they've they've gone to him uh, a couple seasons ago, two or three seasons ago, they went to him and said, hey, you know, we'll we'll challenge you. You know, we'll feature you on the season finale of this next season. But they couldn't feature him because he wouldn't make the lifestyle changes changes. He wouldn't make those, those changes that are necessary to keep the weight, to take the weight off and to keep it off. And you know, as, as I think about it, this guy who won uh, season one of The Biggest Loser <clears throat> is a lot like the people who were casually following Jesus on the shores of Caesarea Philippi. You know, they've just been uh, kind of along for the ride, but suddenly Jesus and, and Peter are kind of getting into it a little bit. You know, Jesus tells the disciples and Peter, you know, what the plan is, what the game plan is, you know, that that he's going to die. And after three days, he's going to rise again. And Peter basically rebukes Jesus. He says, I'm not going to have any of that. And so Jesus rebukes Peter right back. 
and says, you know, you've got your mind on, on the ways of man rather than the ways of God. And all of a sudden, Jesus calls everyone around uh, to, come in, to come in closer, kind of for a huddle. Like, hey, everybody, huddle up. Come here. I've I got something to tell you guys. And so he, he calls them around, and he tells them that if they want to come after him, they have to do three things. They have to deny themselves. They have to take up their cross. And they have to follow him. And we, we talked a little bit uh, in our message uh, three weeks ago about exactly what that means. So you can go back to that if you, if you missed that lesson. But John tells us that, you know, at that point, almost all of the people who were around just kind of turned around and, and left at that point. They were discouraged by the, the incredible cost of following Jesus. They weren't willing to make that type of commitment. You know, it, it would be great to go along and, you know, see him, you know, work some miracles, but you're talking about a lifestyle change, Jesus. You're talking about a long-term commitment that I can never go back to my old life with. And so they're like, hey, you know, I, I can't do it. Just like the first winner of Biggest Loser. Couldn't make the lifestyle changes. Now, it might be natural for us to think that Jesus was you know, instinctively, our, our, first, our first reaction might be to think, you know, Jesus can't be serious, uh, in, in, entirely serious. Maybe he's only half serious when he said that we have to do all these things if we want to come after him. I mean, he can't mean that we've got to constantly deny ourselves, can he? Can, can he mean, you know, constantly or, you know, maybe just once a week, Sunday mornings? You know, is, is that what he means maybe? Um, you know, yeah. No, Jesus is serious. He's really serious. This is really what it means uh, to follow Jesus. It means being obedient to him. Trust and obey. You know, there's no other way, you know, just, like, just like the old hymn says. And we should note that in the Greek, in the, in the original Greek, um, these commands that Jesus gives to deny yourself, take up your cross, and, uh, and to follow him, they're written or, or spoken in what we would call kind of the, the, the present uh, constant uh, tense, meaning... These things are something that you do and do and do and do. And you keep doing them, present, constant. Uh, They're long-term commitments, not just a one-time act. In other words, continuously deny yourself. Continuously take up your cross. Remain in obedience to Jesus constantly to commit to this type of a life change. That's what it means to really be a disciple of Jesus. There's a cost. There's an incredible cost. Now, we might be tempted to ask why all of this is entirely necessary and why, you know, there, there's no half doing it. You can't just do it halfway. You have, to, you have to be all in on this one. We might be tempted to ask, you know, do, does that count? Can we do it halfway? And Jesus is going to talk about that. He gives us an answer for that question as the people are, are basically filing out, as the people are walking away. Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Just making sure we're on on, uh, task here. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So the question might be, what do you value the most? What's what's the most important thing to to the normal person, to the average person? I mean, the answer that would make the most sense would be that one values their own life. Uh, more than anything else, because, I mean, if you don't have your own life, uh, you don't have anything else. I mean, you've got to have your own life to have things, to have the other things that you, uh, that you value. Everything else that we value is contingent upon us being alive to actually enjoy those things and, and to value them. 
So this is some serious motivation that we're talking about because we're all interested in preserving our lives. I mean, we do it instinctively. You try to hold your breath uh, until you die, but eventually, you know, you might black out, but your body will instinctively come to breathing again, start breathing again. It's something that we naturally do, preserving our lives. I mean, if we weren't interested in preserving our lives, uh, you know, we'd all be out playing in traffic or something, right? I mean, uh, or that, or we'd indulge ourselves with all kinds of delicious, unhealthy foods until we killed ourselves. Um, I was reading this this story this week about this uh, morbidly obese guy, 500 plus pounds, uh, who went into an emergency room one night uh, sweating profusely. His heartbeat was around 150 and uh, you know, his, his vitals weren't looking good. And so the doctors are, are asking him, you know, what, what did you do last night? He said, well, you know, um, I was watching TV and I decided that I, you know, I should get a snack. So I, you know, I went and got some food and, uh, you know, fell asleep on my recliner uh, eating, eating a snack. And uh, so the doctor's kind of feeling around on this guy and he says, okay, something's definitely not right. And so they, they perform emergency surgery. And before they get to his stomach, they find a Dorito before they get to his stomach. Yeah, this guy had eaten until his stomach literally burst, so there was food just floating around in him. And so obviously, uh, emergency surgery was absolutely necessary. Now, if you don't value your life, we'd all do that. If we valued food more than our lives, we'd all go and, and do stuff like that. You know, why do people go on The Biggest Loser? To save their lives or to change their lives. And in order to, to save their lives, they have to change their lives. One of the most shocking discoveries that contestants make on that show, you know, when they go see Dr. H and he says, he puts them through this battery of tests and everything. And he says, look, you know, we're looking at these MRIs and these CAT scans and all these other things. And your body is actually way older than they actually are. And he'll say something like, you know, if you keep going like this, you've got five or 10 years max left when you know, the contestants are thinking, you know, I'm only like 35 years old. I, I've got you know, another 35, 40 years to go. The point here is that we all value our lives. And because we value our lives, we strive, we, we take steps to preserve our lives. And if we're serious about preserving our lives, sometimes really drastic steps need to be taken. That's the point here. You see, within each and every one of us is this desire to, to live life the way that it's really supposed to be lived, the way that we, we experience things, we're enjoying everything, and we, we find happiness in small things and big things alike. alike and you know, we, we all have those types of desires within us. And Jesus is saying, if, if you want to do that, here's where it starts. It starts with denying yourself. It starts with taking up your cross and following me. Because we've all got this desire to live life to the fullest and it's only found in Jesus. He says that's, that's where it starts. To live life the way it was meant to be lived, that's something we always want. And Jesus is saying this is where you start, right at the foot of the cross. You know, there are two ways that you can, that you can view your life or that a person can, can view their life. The first way is uh, they, they love it. They, uh, it. It belongs to themselves. You know, it's, it's their greatest possession. And if that's the case, you know, you're, you're basically, a, a, you, you hoard it. You, you hold on to it as, as tight as you can in your clutches and you, you don't want to let go of it because you're, you know, you're looking out for number one. And your decision-making process starts with a question like, what's in it for me? All right, we, we've all done that, right? I mean, we, we look at a situation and we start thinking, well, you know, what's in it for me? That's, that's 
the most natural way. We, we, that's, that's human nature to start off looking at that. And this is the way that the world sees their lives, and they act accordingly. They, they, they act in their, out in their lives accordingly. And Jesus tells us that if this is the category that you fit into, if this is how you live your life, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose it. The second way to, to view your life is to see it as not belonging to yourself, but belonging to God. And again, the person who views their life this way will act accordingly in obedience, right? Paul said this. He said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Just making sure. In other words, his life wasn't his own. To live is Christ, to die is gain. It wasn't his own. He, he, he lived for Jesus. Everything that he did was for Jesus and the sake of the gospel. And if that meant that he was going to be martyred, if that meant that he was going to be beaten, if it meant that he was going to starve, it didn't matter. It didn't matter to him. It was all in Jesus' hands. Because, you know, if, if he gets killed, then he doesn't live for Jesus anymore. He gets to live with Jesus. And Jesus is telling us here that if you want to experience life to the fullest, you've got to let go of it. You've got to have this same attitude that Paul had, to live as Christ, to die as gain. You know, a couple years ago, I, um, while I was still in Arkansas, I stood over the bedside of a girl who was uh, 12 years old and who, was, who had terminal cancer. Um, she was dying. And, uh, you know, she wanted to know why God would let this, this happen to her. And I, I tried to answer her, but her chemotherapy... Uh, had actually caused her ear canals to swell shut. So she couldn't really hear anything. But her mom was, uh, was kind of wondering the same thing. She had the, the same question. So, um, you know, in a, in a nutshell, uh, you know, I, I pulled her aside, and, you know, my nutshell answer was uh, basically, you know, I agree. It, it's, it's really confusing. I, I don't know why God would allow this to happen, but we have to remember one thing, and this is, this is very, very important. We have to remember that in this life, Man, we are like a vapor in the wind. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. I mean, life is short. It really is. Life is always short. It always seems like it ends too soon. Whether you're 12 years old, whether you're 20 years old, whether you're 102 years old, life always seems like it ends too soon. But what we have to remember is that this isn't the life that we're created for. This isn't it. You know, sometimes we get caught in the cycle where we think, you know, this is it. You know, I want to live this life, and I want to have everything I want. I want to have this long life. And people look at a girl who's 12 years old and say, that's so unfair. And, you know, I I would agree. It, It would be really unfair if this was all there was. If this is the life and that we're created for and nothing beyond this life. And it's sad. It's, it's hard to, to talk about that because our, our conscience tells us, man, there, there's something wrong with death on a 12-year-old. Yeah, where, where do we get that idea? That's the law of God written on our heart, realizing that death shouldn't have power over us. But Jesus defeated death. But there's this type of thinking that says, you know, I'm, I'm going to live my life like this is all there is, like, like this is what I was created for. And Jesus' words here are just a reminder that if you're living your life like this is all there is, you're not going to experience the fullness of life that living for him can bring. 
You're just not. And so what we do, what happens is we end up with this, this paradox that dictates that if we want to live life the way that it was meant to be lived, if we want to experience life in the fullest sense, we have to let go of it. We have to lose it. We have to lose control of it. And doing that starts with denying yourself continually, taking up your cross continually, and obeying Jesus continually. Trust God, give him the reins of your life, and trust the results and the consequences in his hands. He's sovereign. He, he, he can take care of things. He can take care of you. Now, if you thought that the contestants on The Biggest Loser had to make lifestyle changes, brother, you haven't seen nothing yet. You want to talk about some serious lifestyle changes? These three things that Jesus names right here. Those are serious, serious lifestyle changes. It's, it's not easy. Jesus calls us to make these drastic changes, but that is the cost of discipleship. And that's what it means to follow him. You know, you, you try to save your life, you try to hold it like this, and it's going to be taken away from you. It happens to all of us. You try to save it, you're going to lose it. Lose your life by living for the sake of Jesus and the gospel message, and you'll save it. You'll find a life that's more enjoyable than anything that you can even imagine. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it'll be more rewarding than anything that money can give you. I mean, why do you think I walked away from this lucrative career as a table games dealer in Las Vegas, making crazy money, money that I never even dreamed I could make? Why do you think I walked away from that? It was because I was making all this money, but man, I was miserable because money doesn't, money, possessions, all those things, they don't give you happiness. They don't bring you joy. I had more money than I knew what to do with, but I, I was miserable. And why do you think that I was so eager to come here? You know, it's a small church. There's not this huge salary to, to offer or anything like that. Why do you think I came here? It was because I knew that Jesus was pointing me here and that everything else was just a detail. I didn't need to know anything else beyond that. Nothing else beyond that mattered. Jesus wanted me here. The Lord wanted me here. I was convinced of that. I was convicted in my spirit. I said, I'll go. I don't care. So I might not make a lot of money here. I might not have this, uh, you know, luxurious lifestyle. But you know what? Ask my wife. This is the most content I have ever been in my entire life. Because I know that I'm right where Jesus has put me. I'm doing what he created me to do. If you try to save your life, you lose it. If you're willing to lose your life, you save it. This is a bombshell of a philosophy on life, isn't it? But Jesus is about to drop a second one on us. Mark chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now Jesus knows how to ask the types of questions that are like a probe. You know, like when, when, when a doctor is making a diagnosis, um, you know, they, they send a probe inside of you sometimes, and sometimes, you know, you can be awake and they'll say, oh, you know, this, this is what we're seeing inside of you right now. Uh, that, that's kind of cool. But Jesus asks these questions that do the same thing. He, he puts this probe that goes down into the depths of our hearts. And honestly, we see, if, if, we, if we're honest with the questions, we see darkness, we see filth, we see selfishness, depravity, emptiness, despair. That's what we find in the heart of the person who lives their lives for themselves rather than for God. Jim Elliott said this. 
I imagine this guy had a southern accent, but I don't know. Jim Elliott sounds like a southern guy. I don't know. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That sounds like a pretty good trade. But it's not easy. See, this is good news for people who love bad news. The good news is, you know, you can, you can save your life. The bad news is it's, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. You want to gain the most valuable thing in the world? You need to be a loser. <laughs> loser, you know. Exactly. You need to lose your life so that you can gain it. Jesus is basically reinforcing his previous uh, statement by reminding us that none of the stuff that we make our lives about other than Jesus will come with us beyond this life. Really, life in him is the most valuable thing that we can possibly have. Now, <clears throat> there's a show on, uh, I think it's on A&E, called Hoarders. Has anybody ever watched Hoarders? What a, what a crazy show. You know, you see these people who have all kinds of just stuff, so much stuff. I, I mean, it, it, it literally fills their house up. And you guys know that, um, or some of you might know, um, lately I've been, I've been selling a bunch of stuff on Amazon, and so we go to garage sales and everything. And so I go on Craigslist, and I, I look for uh, where garage sales are going to be on Saturdays. And so uh, Friday night I'm, you know, I'm browsing through Craigslist ads for garage sales, and I, I come across one that says, hoarders sale. I'm like, are you kidding? Maybe they're, you know, filming the show and they said, hey, you know, we'll do, we'll do a, a garage sale, uh, you know, getting stuff out of your house. And so um, what they did is they, they actually posted a bunch of pictures uh, of, of their stuff. And here you can see some of the pictures that were posted on Craigslist. I thought, you know, maybe I should go there and, and take pictures, but I thought, you know, that would be pretty tasteless. I don't, don't want to be disrespectful or anything like that. But I, I looked at this and I'm like, I'm not going in there. I'm not going to try to find stuff in there. That's the first uh, couple pictures. There's another one. I mean, just stuff everywhere. That's what hoarders do. They, they just hoard all kinds of stuff, uh, whether it's valuable or, or whatever, you know. Um, if you were to ask a psychologist what a, a hoarder is or what it means to hoard, they'd say something like, um, it's a mental disorder in which people feel an obsessive need to collect or hold on to things, whether or not those things are valuable or, or sanitary, right? I mean, it's not sanitary living in conditions like this. Uh, there was one episode of Hoarders where there were cockroaches just everywhere inside there. And, and, and the, the exterminator came in and said, there's nothing I can do. Because it, it's, there's so much stuff. I can't even get in there. So that's what it means to hoard. And, and what you find as you watch the show is that people have collected so much stuff that they themselves get lost in the shuffle. They, they can't live their lives. You know, they, they can't even get from room to room. And this question that Jesus is asking gets down to the nitty-gritty of the whole issue and shows us that the person who lives for themselves and their stuff is really just like one of these hoarders. What good is it? What good is it if you have all the stuff in the world, but gaining all those things has prevented you from living the life that God intended you to live. You know, while some people are collecting all these things, you know what else they're collecting? Intangible things. They're collecting stress. They're collecting shame, guilt, doubt, fear, emotional pain. I mean, think about how easy it is to lose all these things. Think about how quickly these things could be here today and just gone tomorrow. The truth is that if you think about what your most prized possession 
And all the world is, and you, and you really think about it, there are myriad ways that it could just be gone tomorrow. If it's your car, uh, you know, you, you could crash it. Or, or even if you're a, a, a good driver, you know, you park it on the street and you get somebody driving down the street texting and next thing you know, your car's scrap metal. You know, it, it can happen that easy. If it's your house, it could burn down in, in less time uh, than, it, than it'll take for us to get through this lesson today. Uh, if it's money, you know, we, we've all seen that it can be here today and gone tomorrow. So why are we holding on to it? Why are we holding on to things like that? When, when I was over in Moldova um, back in 2005, it's, it's a very poor country, but it hasn't always been poor. You see, back when the Soviet Union was basically in existence, when it was kind of an empire, um, people there had all kinds of money. A lot of the people there had saved up enough money that they could buy two or three houses with cash. And they had all this money just saved up. And then they woke up one day, and all that money that they had was enough to buy about a loaf of bread. Literally. Literally. That's how fast it can be gone. They woke up, and it was barely enough to get a meal for their family. Money is the number one contender with God for our hearts because money is so deceptive. You know, it it makes us feel like we've got some kind of security because we've got more and more of it. But really, there's no security in it at all. It just makes us vulnerable. Now, honestly, if you were given a choice, would you rather lose the stress, the anxiety, the guilt, the shame, the doubt, fear, emotional pain, all of those things? Would you, rather, uh, would you rather lose those things or would you rather lose the chance to experience life to the fullest the way that God designed it? Oh, when, when you put it in perspective like that, yeah. See, there, there was a time in my life when I wanted to be the biggest loser. And I'm not talking about going on the TV show, although um, having Bob or Dolvet as my personal trainer, wow, that would be awesome. But no, you know, I, I wanted to lose all of these things that were making me miserable. And I, it took me six years to figure out that it was money that was making me miserable. And all the while I'm thinking, you know, if I can just get to one of the top casinos in Vegas, I could be happy. No, I got to one of the top casinos in Vegas and miserable. Miserable. You know, I, I was like most people who come to church on Sunday mornings, probably. You know, I, I wanted to, to hold on to my soul. I valued my soul, but I wanted to keep all the stuff because I thought there would be happiness in it. There would be security in it, but there's not. There's not. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Oh, man. Those words are so, so true. So what this question that Jesus is asking really boils down to is this. What's the point of holding on to something that isn't eternal? What's the point of holding on to all this stuff but losing your life in the process? Because we, we, we basically just become a slave to all those things. You know what you and I have in common with the richest people in the world? I mean, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, uh, you know, oil sheiks, you know, people who have billions and billions, maybe hundreds of billions of dollars. You know what we have in common with them? We're all going to die. Every single one of us, our lives are going to end someday, and none of us knows when that day is going to come. But the truth is that if a person hasn't surrendered themselves, if they haven't lost themselves and traded their desire to live life for themselves, for the desire to live for God, the truth is they've gained nothing, and they've lost everything. It was all for nothing. You see, true wealth, true prosperity isn't found in accumulating a bunch of pieces of green paper that have Benjamin Franklin's picture on it. 
Those things are here today and gone tomorrow. True prosperity isn't physical, it's spiritual. It's eternal life in Jesus. You see, money, money is a cruel and unforgiving God that keeps you tossing and turning at night. But Jesus is kind, gentle, faithful to forgive us, giving us a peace that passes all understanding. You know what being a Christian is all about? Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, enjoying material things. No, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those three things, righteousness, peace, and joy. These are the three things that, man, I I want my life to be rich in. I want to prosper in these three things. Not my own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ in me. Peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of life that Jesus came to give. That's what kingdom living is all about. See, if if you have these three things, what more could you possibly want? If you have the righteousness of Christ, peace and joy, you don't need all, anything else. This is sufficient. This is sufficient. You see, we're so worried about being happy, but we so often get caught up in this trap, this lifestyle that assumes that happiness is found in things, in, in, in accumulating things, in, in living for ourselves, putting ourselves in the driver's seat, But you need to understand that what Jesus is saying here is that you are going to lose something. So make the choice. Make the choice. Will will you lose yourself now or will you lose yourself later? Sometime or another, it's all going to go. It's all going to go. You want to lose your stuff? You want to lose the things that you treasure the most? Live life to the fullest? See, the reason that Jesus asks this question is because he knows that we value our souls. We do. We we value our lives. We value our souls. But the thing is, we need to understand this. He values our souls too. He values them more than we do, I dare say. He values us so much, he became like one of us, taking on the form of man, taking on flesh, instead of holding on to his position on heaven's throne. And so he humbled himself became a man, and died on a cross. Likewise, we need to humble ourselves. We need to follow the example that he gave and humble ourselves, putting to death the desires of our flesh, embracing eternal life through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. See, the point that Jesus is trying to get across here is that there's nothing more valuable than your own soul. It's worth more than money. It's worth more than possessions or or anything else. See, we've got this inclination within us to pursue things that really amount to just kind of a a selfish uh, pleasure. But if we want to experience life the way that we are created to experience life, we've got to be humble and make not the pursuit of ourselves, but the pursuit of God our top priority in life. In his letter to the Philippians... Paul wrote this. Did I copy it up there? Yeah, I did. Okay, good. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. See, the the secret to finding happiness is knowing that happiness, true happiness, true peace and joy can't be found in our circumstances. It just can't. That's a, that's a lie. If you think that you need the right circumstances, the right marriage, the right job, the right house, 
keep going down the list. All the things that we value. If you think you need the right circumstances to be happy, you have bought the biggest lie in all of history. If we look for happiness in our circumstances, we are going to be miserable because the truth is we can't control our circumstances. I'll be driving down, I've never had a car accident, and I'll be driving down the road and Christina's, you know, she'll, she'll be freaking out sometimes when traffic's like weaving in and out right in front of us. And I said, hey, hey you know, I've, I've never had an accident. She says, I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about them. <laughs> I'm worried about them. I can't control my circumstances. I can't control if somebody else is texting while driving or drinking and driving and, and they crash into me. I can't control my circumstances entirely. Oh, make no mistake about it. You know, we, we like to feel like we're in control, but even what we can control is so small and so insignificant. You know, no, real happiness has to come from something beyond our circumstances. It can only truly come, truly come through knowing and experiencing the love of Jesus. Kind of a neat story. In 1861, archaeologists discovered the tomb of a man named Charles of Charlemagne, also known as Charles the Great. Uh, He was king of the Franks, which was a a kind of a section of of Germany a long, long, long time ago. Uh, He was king of the the Franks starting in about year 768, and he was emperor of the Romans from year 800 until his death in 814. And when his tomb was discovered about a thousand years later, 1861, the archaeologists were, were shocked at what they saw when they opened up his tomb. The skeleton of his body was sitting upright on a throne, inside of his tomb. And his finger was pointing to this verse. Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Here was a man who in his day and age, he, he had it all. He had money. He had power. He had influence. He probably cast fear into the hearts of people. All of those things. But he held it in the proper perspective because he knew that all of those things that he had were going to be gone someday. They were all just temporary things. But he knew that eternal life The life that Jesus came to give us is something that can't be lost. It's so much better. Martin Luther once said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. So the question, you know, the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, what am I really longing for the most? What am I longing for more than anything else? What am I holding on to? What am I wanting to hold on to? Maybe it's money. Maybe it's job. Maybe it's your home. Maybe, who knows? It can be anything. Maybe it's your car. The challenge here is to keep whatever those things that we're holding on to or pursuing, whatever those things might be, to hold them in the proper perspective, knowing that it won't last. So those things shouldn't be our number one pursuit in life. Those things shouldn't be our greatest treasure. When Jesus was was giving the Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't store up treasure you know, here on earth where moth and rust can destroy or thieves can break in, but store up your treasures in heaven where there's no rust, there's no moths, and thieves aren't going to break in and steal it. It, it's, it makes perfect sense. Why would you store up things here when you can store up things there? See, if you want to be the biggest loser, and I'm talking about losing the pain, the anxiety, the guilt, all those things, if you're, if you're holding on to those things above God's causes, it's found, you, you've got to make Jesus and the gospel message your greatest treasure. 
those other things, they'll, they'll fade away. In closing, you know, Jesus tells us, he not only tells us that the secret to happiness is this, doing all these things, storing up treasures in heaven, following him, experiencing the life that God created you to live. But he sure let us know that there's no cheating. You can't fake it. You can't fake it. So, he, so we read Mark eight thirty eight, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In other words, what you value will be reflected in your actions. Jesus is talking about deeds here, what you can see on the outside. You can see when somebody is ashamed. Your actions reflect your values. And if you value Jesus, if you value the life that he came to give you, you have to deny yourself. It'll come through in your actions. And if you won't deny yourself, guess what? Jesus will. The question is, what does it mean to be ashamed of Jesus? That's really the question because, I mean, honestly, let's admit it. There are times when we're all ashamed of him in, in a way. Whenever we sin, uh, you know, we're, we're really, in a biblical sense, ashamed of Jesus. Uh, maybe you've seen the, the Francis Chan clip um, where he talks about how he used to feel like he had to pray before every meal. And uh, he, he got to the point where sometimes he wanted to do it in like the most inconspicuous way possible. He didn't want people to, to, to see him. Is that what it means to be ashamed of Jesus? Maybe, in, in, in a sense, I guess, but I don't think that that's exactly what, what Jesus has in mind. He, you know, there are times when we're all tempted to, um, you know, to, to fit in and not offend. Uh, you know, those are normal temptations, and of course, there's provision for forgiveness in the cross in times like that. But the real question is, what is the aim of a person's heart? What, which way are you going, to yourself or t- toward God? Which way is the compass pointing? What's your heart's greatest desire in life? To live for yourself and things or to live for God? That's really what the question boils down to. And Jesus is just giving us a choice here. The first option is that we can be ashamed of Jesus, in which case he'll be ashamed of us when he returns. We need to understand that the term ashamed doesn't just mean embarrassed. You know, like, uh, like you know, the, the strange uncle that you, know, that you see at family reunions and you're like, oh man, I, he embarrasses me. No, we're not talking about that type of being ashamed. It's more of a reference of severe judgment that a person uh, will receive in which they are completely rejected. So Jesus is basically saying that if we reject him, we'll be rejected too. He'll, he'll reject us as well. And that's the choice that he gives us. And of course, the second choice by implication is that we accept him. And if we accept him, he accepts us. See, it's impossible to force someone to love you. God is love. He, he, he wants us to love him, but you, you can't force somebody to love you. In America, we call that stalking. And God is not a stalker. God loves us enough that he gives us the choice of either receiving or rejecting him. Of course, his desire is that all would come to repentance, but he knows that most are going to pass on that opportunity. Most people are going to live for themselves. The bottom line is that being a follower of Jesus isn't a walk in the park. Life in Jesus is radically, radically different from the life that you and I were born into. Following Jesus can mean going through really, really 
hard circumstances in life, really difficult seasons of life. It invariably means being humble and putting ourselves and our own self-interests in a distant second place, pursuing God and His ways first and foremost. Being a follower of Jesus means a complete change in lifestyle, just like on The Biggest Loser TV show. A complete change in lifestyle. Being willing to be the biggest loser and lose everything if that's what happens, for the sake of Jesus and the gospel message. We have to be willing to put things like ego to the side for his sake. So yeah, the cost is is great. The cost is really, really steep, but the benefits include this permanent reward that money doesn't even compare with. Righteousness, peace, and joy. What else do you need? It's a deeper satisfaction than anything this world can bring. You see, in the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, the biggest gainer is the biggest loser. The road to true happiness, true prosperity, starts at the foot of the cross by denying yourself, taking up your cross, and being obedient to Jesus. A life that's centered on anything other than Jesus is a life that is tragically wasted. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there are so many things in this world that compete for our hearts. And Lord, we, we love you. We belong to you. I pray that you would teach us to not only internally value you more than anything else, but that it would be reflected in our actions. Lord, we know that we're all a work in progress, and we thank you for your grace that it covers those times when we don't act like you're our greatest treasure. But I pray that through the conviction of your Holy Spirit that you would make us new, that you would teach us to be broken away from these old ways of living for ourselves and teach us to live for you, seeing everything with a proper perspective, that the things of this world, they'll all be gone someday, but life in you is eternal. Thank you for this, uh, this, this word in your word, Lord. I pray that it would transform our lives and make us more like Jesus. In his name. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. Take me deeper.